0: Good morning. Wow, so this is day three for the New York Lounge for this uh, Sundance 2015, and it's been really wonderful. The panels have been awesome. The, the music has just been incredible. Last night, we, we had a late night, um, first time ever, uh, and packed the house, and the artists were just, just, uh, just so memorable. If you have a chance, come by tonight at 6.30 and, uh, and see the artists. Very, very proud to uh, present along with my FWRV colleagues, the production strategies panel. I mean, one of the things that you, you see in, in all the films is that uh, the key to getting a film here at Sundance is this is great production, great producers who really understand the strategies, the inside, and they've, they've made the mistakes, but the producers here somehow have figured it out, and we have picked the best of them to be on this panel and I'm really proud to be uh, presenting it with my FWRV colleagues. Um, It's a special treat for me to introduce today's moderator, my partner, Matt Lefferts. Matt is a great guy and excellent attorney in film and television and and theater. And um, he's been sitting with the panelists and um, I think we're gonna learn some very practical information. Without further ado, Please uh, meet my partner, our moderator, Matt Lefferts.
1: You guys ready? Hi, everybody. Thanks for coming. So thank you, Stephen. Um, and thank you all for coming to our uh, New York Lounge independent film production panel series. Uh, we're doing, talking about production, the production process today. And we d- really do have a terrific, terrific uh, panel for you. Uh, Kimberly Skirm is a casting director um, and uh, casted casted uh, House of Cards. And uh, she'll be talking about that process a little bit and also a producer. Jake Levy is uh, my partner at Franklin Winery, Rudell and Visallo, and does a lot of uh, film production work. Um, I'm gonna go start in the end there. Uh, Peter Gilbert is uh, a producer for many, many years and uh, produced the groundbreaking documentary Hoop Dreams many years ago and has a couple films uh, At the festival, I am uh, unexpected and digging for fire. Nancy Schaefer is also a a producer here, and, um, uh uh oh, sorry. (laughs) What, nope, (laughs) Nancy had had, uh, a film last year, The Battered Bastards of Baseball, at the festival, and uh, is producing a bunch of different projects, including Seven Chinese Brothers right now, which is in post-production, I believe. Claudine Merritt is also with us, and Claudine is a producer, is uh, line-produced I Am Michael, which is at the festival this week, and uh, has a very interesting approach to to line-producing, which we're going to hear about in a few minutes. Uh, and uh, last but not least, Mel Miller is here from Fishbowl Films, uh, formerly of Gravitas Ventures, and... Uh, has uh, heavily involved in the production and distribution process, and as pr- started as a producer many years ago. So, it really knows every aspect of the of the process. Um, so, to get started, I you know I guess the, the best way to do it is start with Kimberly. In terms of when, uh, sorry, but uh, you know when you're when you're developing your film, uh, you, you need to you need to cast, and the question is when do you start involving a casting director in your process and uh, And how does that process work?
2: Certainly everything I have to say is really from my point of view, because as we were laughing on the panel, most casting people are really not known for being the friendly mom of the group. I, however, am a friendly mom of the group. So for me, I think it really should start, if you're a screenwriter director or a screenwriter hoping to get your film made, I think you should start with actors at that point, that while you're writing and can think of the big picture, actors have a really you know, incisive way of thinking about the characters even when they're just doing a three-page reading so they can bring a lot to the script. So I think you need to think about it at that process. And if you have a friendship with a casting director, you can always ask them to help establish these table reads and do things for you in that arena, so that's that piece of it. And then as far as development-wise and attaching cast, I mean, depending where you are at in your career and which casting director you could attach to a project, you could attach somebody of note to help that process, but I think early on in development is when you should start those relationships so that you can, in your writing phase, do it, and then obviously in the production phase it's a different piece.
1: Uh, Claudine, can you talk to us a little bit about your approach to line producing? And, and uh, it, Claudine has a, what you would call a holistic approach to, to producing. And I guess that process probably starts very early. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Right. Yeah. No, no, it's great. Thank you. Uh, the, uh, you know, the, the process of filmmaking, especially for independent film, whether it's documentary or narrative, is is, is often a passion pro- project. And when you're a producer producing a film, you're thinking about producing your film, but as uh, you know, Nancy and Mel can tell us, you, know, there's, you have to start thinking about the distribution process early on in your development. Is that right?
3: I like to refer to it as reverse engineering or thinking mm-hmm. like a studio, um, because if you don't know what your end game is at the beginning, then you're not starting right. Um, it, it really comes down to you need to know who your audience is gonna be and set expectations for yourself from the beginning. And, you know, I want to give Nancy the mic, because I think her and I are going to... I would say
4: that, too. Keep going.
3: But, uh, you know, it's really important, I think, especially in 2015, where the landscape... I mean, there's God knows how many new distributors here ready to pick up a film. But the devil's kind of in the details as to where are they actually going to get your movie is really interesting to me and then you know figuring out what are they going to take on you know just really kind of doing your homework about all the various companies that are Mm -hmm. coming up and then knowing what place your film makes the most sense for like your film might not be a theatrical your film might be perfect for I mean Amazon just announced Ted Hope took over and he's doing and I'm going to start to talk much louder now (laughs) this is like Ted Hope Ted Ted Hope just announced with Amazon that he is doing um, 12 films this year where he is now head of production for them, where they are going to be taking on films where they're going to do a very, very short theatrical window, and then they're going to take it straight to Amazon. So there's a lot of different things that are happening right now in this space where, I mean, as a filmmaker, first, I always tell everyone, like, sign up for every single newsletter that you can for Deadline and, and Hollywood Reporter and... You know all these different places, like, so that you know what's going on in space because it's changing drastically, like, every day. That would be. Enough. That's
4: great. Yeah, um, knowing your audience is the most important thing when I uh, meet a filmmaker who says, I say, well, who's the audience for the film? And they say, uh, everyone. Everyone is not a good answer because not everyone is going to go see your film. Um, so <laughs> I feel like I should tango. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my background is, is that I uh, ran a couple of film festivals. Um, one of them was South by Southwest and one of them was Tribeca. So um, I have a lot of expertise in finding audiences. Um, and I think what's important is knowing your whole strategy from the beginning. So are you gonna try for a festival? Is that how you're gonna sell your film? 99% of the time the answer is yes, but what festival? 99% of the time the answer is Sundance but you're not all going to get into Sundance, so you have to think about other strategies, how to get an audience, how to build that festival experience so that your sales agent can sell the film, all that kind of stuff. Um, I just shot a movie, Seven Chinese Brothers, that uh, with Jason Schwartzman in it, and everyone on the set was like, this is so perfect for Sundance. And I was like, well, it's not here, by the way. Um, I was like, okay, but who is it perfect for the real world? Like, The festival is just a... It's part of the process, it's not the end game. You don't actually care if your film gets into a festival, you care that you sell it out of, out of the festival. So just remember the big picture is to sell the film.
1: Thank you. I hope you enjoy the music. It's part of our dramatic... Uh, uh,
5: I, I just wanted yeah. to add one thing. I think with the way the world is right now, in ter- the hardest thing is trying to be smart enough when you're starting to make a film that you figure out a way to get your film sort of above all of the other noise that's out there. It's difficult. Um, you can do a really great film and it just doesn't get above that noise if you don't start thinking about it early. Well, um, an
2: initial strategy and strategic partnership. Right, and, and which is, and you know,
5: casting all those things, and it's, but it's really difficult now. And that's where I think you have to really be educated. From day one, that uh, so who, who will, will help but and be able to roll with it to take risks. Um,
4: all these new platforms are cast driven, they are right. absolutely cast. So you have to be aware of that. And you can make a truly artistic film that'll pop, I mean, like an upstream color kind of thing, but that, the chance of that, I mean, you have to be really good, you know. And I'm not saying you all aren't <laughs> great directors, I think you're brilliant. But um, cast helps you uh, get there. A little easier. That S in cast is a
1: dollar sign. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's right. So, Jake, can you tell us a little bit about the, the legal issues that you face early on in developing a film?
6: Yeah. Absolutely. So, I feel like now it can actually uh, hear me no. above the music. <laughs> Yeah. Um, So, in the development process, this is really when you are laying the foundation for your film. So, uh, just as everyone else on the panel was saying, you really need to think not just towards production, but you need to think for the long haul. What issues are going to come up during post? What issues are going to come up during distribution? You have to have all of that in mind when you're starting your project. So, in terms of building that foundation, to give you some examples, you know, we will uh, sometimes get calls from clients saying, okay, I wrote a screenplay about this guy. I have a check that someone wants to give me tomorrow to start filming, so let's get going. And. We try to address that by saying, okay, let's slow down for a second and let's talk about the questions that a distributor uh, may have for you. Um, are you going to be able to uh, deliver all the deliverables that, that a distributor is going to ask for? And also, are you going to be able to find E&O insurance? Um, that's, uh, if anyone doesn't know, errors and omissions insurance. That's the kind of insurance that uh, protects you if you haven't gotten the right sorts of permissions uh, from everyone in your film, for example, or you haven't uh, cleared copy uh, materials that are subject to copyright protection. Um, so again, a, a few points to have in mind for that, um, just going with the, the screenwriter example for someone who comes in and says, okay, I want to go, I have a screenwriter about this guy, uh, excuse me, I have a screenplay about this guy, um, you know, we'll ask, we'll ask a young filmmaker, okay, well, have you stopped and thought about uh, whether or not you need any rights to any underlying material? Is your screenplay based upon a book or based upon a magazine article? Um, and we'll help you analyze, do you need rights from that author of that book or that magazine article? Um, even if you don't need rights, are rights advisable because you want that author, to, who may be an expert in this subject, to act as a consultant? Um, And often, you know, the questions differ, by the way, for if we're talking about a documentary or a narrative feature. Moving on, you know, we said before, I think in our hypothetical, that it's a screenplay about a person. Uh, Are we talking about a real person? Is that a person living right now? Are they a public or a private figure? There's really a lot of questions that if we don't get answered right now, uh, you may start producing your film and you may spend a lot of money, and then you may find that you can't get E&O insurance, you can't get distribution, so you really wanna have answered. Another thing, by the way, that uh, producers starting out may not think about in terms of people in their film or people who their film is about, is do you, for competitive reasons, wanna enter into some sort of deal with this person so they can't assist another filmmaker uh, in making a film about themselves? Um, you know, It's one of those business aspects you may not think about early on. I'll give you one more bullet point to think about before I pass this back, and that is early on, have you made all the deals with your co-producers? Because yes, early on in the process, everyone is getting along. Um, but you all know it's a really long process, and one, two years down the road, you may not be getting along anymore, and it's great to have those conversations up front when, when the relationship uh, may not be strained, because at the end of the day, your distributors are going to want to know that you have a solid chain of title, which is having everything in writing that all of your rights are locked up. So anyway, if, if you think about these things early on, that's how you can really try and uh, set the best path to success for your film.
1: That's great, thank you. So I guess one thing I think would be helpful for the audience and for producers is if you guys could share some of your biggest challenges in the production process, and an example in a film that you've done, you, know, you can go to film school, but until you actually are in, in it in the middle of production, and you face those issues, you, you really don't know what to do and how to face those challenges. So if you guys have any good war stories that you could tell the audience that could help us uh, help them uh, in their production process.
7: <laughs> so, you know, as a producer working with a lot of first-time directors, it's really like I talked about before, is defining the box. And because we all have a budget, and that's the number, there's no there's no money tree. So really getting their heads right around, like, what it is, like, and we all agree to this box. So when they ask you for something, I say to them, I'm not going to say no to you, we're going to put it in the box. Does it fit? Does it work with the crew that we have, the locations that we have, like, can we make it in our 12, 14-hour day, you know, with production? and so." Really, you have to constantly check in and make sure that you have a great ad that checks in with you. That's like, hey, listen, he's you know he's not getting this thing, and like let's talk to him. What's happening? And and always checking in because you can after one or two days of people out of control, you really can. it costs you a lot of money, you know, especially because I do indies and I do like the money is super tight. Like, five hundred dollars is like a lot of money that you waste. So really, just constantly checking in and setting an intention of what are we trying to accomplish. You know what are the challenges, and let's work together as a team and empower the people that you hired to come up with solutions because they want to and they want to be part of the team. So allow them to. They have a lot of great stuff from the grips to the production designer and the DP. Like everyone has something really valuable to say. You know we can't spend all day talking to them about it, but like really try to kind of powwow with the people that you feel it like can help you. So trust your team.
4: Well, and I don't have a war story, but for me, the hardest part is development and pre-production. If you put the right pieces in place, production is actually, hopefully, I mean, there are snafus and there are bad days and there are good days, but production is actually kind of easy. I mean, you know what you have to do every day. It's listed right there on your call sheet. You know, you have to get it done and or else you fall behind and you spend a lot of money. So, but if you put the right pieces in place in development, i.e., the right script, the right cast, and then in pre-production, you're putting together the right team, like, as a boss for a lot of years, my whole mantra was, hire the right people and let them do their job. So I'm not an art director, and I'm never gonna tell the art director how to do their job, because I actually have no idea. So just let the art director do his job, and let the director work with the art director to figure that out. And then the, the production is easy. Post-production is a beating. Because um, it goes on forever, and, um, and then you have this finished film, and then, and then it, the, the distribution process takes forever too. So it's just very long. But put the right pieces in place, and then you should be OK. I'm
5: going to use Oh,
3: Well, I was just going to say, this right here, be prepared, OK? Like, um, this, this, this is like the perfect example of when you're on location, you better have a really great looking PA location manager who walks over with like 5 bucks and says, like, excuse me, sir, do you mind turning down your, uh, we're shooting right now. Sometimes they're not going to care. Sometimes they'll be cool about it, but this is, this is like the perfect example of an issue. <laughs> well,
5: one thing I wanted to say, I, I have war stories, but one thing real quick is that it's really important um, to build... Re- oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's really important to build um, early on in your film as well as having your normal team and the team that you're going to work with, but to actually get and know that your post-production people and start working with them really early. Because if you're going to them at the end, they're, you know, it's amazing, most post-production houses, at least my experience, if you've been loyal to them, they will help you out in amazing ways. And it's something to build all the way through. So if you're doing other things besides indie films to make a living, So whatever it is, if you can bring work or do things to different companies, sound houses, you know, post houses, things like that, camera rental houses, that will help you keep costs down amazingly because they will come and help you. Because they also get bored of working on their, you know, everyday commercial stuff, and they want to work on indie stuff. And so we're very lucky in Chicago. We have, like, four or five places that they're... Indie places, I mean commercial places, who actually want to work with us all the time and are happy yeah, to give us to. deals, and it's a wonderful thing. But you have to make that relation work that relationship. So,
7: I wanted to circle back to what you were saying about and you, about the right team and a production. It's like creating creating the team that's used to what you're doing. Like if you're going to do a two hundred thousand dollar film it's hard to hire someone that's used to doing five or $10 million films because they're used to staff. You know, when I did this last film, it was under $2 million, and all these you know, big production designers and costume designers were very interested, but I go, guess what, no trailers. And they were like, what? you know and so they don't know how to work that way so you really have to work with people that know I, I'm going to go in and out I'm going to have this little cube truck and all my clothes are going to be in there and have them be okay with that you know um, have them beg bar and steal for hangers and you know those kinds of things that's what makes it easier like you said when you hire the right team that get, can get their head right around that and they're not going to come to you and go oh I'm going to go over 5,000 it's like no 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 no, you're not doing that so, so like working with that team so I, I think that's a good point
6: yeah, and on that note, one of the things that we find and that we always recommend, not to overstate the obvious, is but get a fantastic line producer on board. Um, you know, you don't want to pay me to be your line producer. I'm a lawyer, uh, there's a few things I've picked up and may be able to do for you, but again, that's not my expertise, but we have clients again and again who come, they, they may not have a great line producer, and we end up uh, doing lots of work for them last minute that a line producer could do more efficiently. Um, And it ends up not you know being the best decision for the film Um, So that's certainly a way uh, to avoid one of those production nightmares and help you stay on budget for your film um, at the same time and just to give some examples for that, you know, we will uh, get calls from, from filmmakers who think their line producer has lined up access to various locations, and we'll get a call that, okay, the crew has just arrived, and guess what? Yeah, no one thought about uh, arranging access. No one thought about getting filming permits. No one thought about the fact that you're shooting a scene in the middle of Times Square with billboards in the background, uh, and yeah, maybe it would look kind of cool to see Coca-Cola over your lead actors right shoulder, um, but depending on what you're shooting, and if it's a doc or if it's a narrative film and what the subject matter is, uh, yeah, that may actually be problematic and cause you a big budget problem when you have to go reshoot without that billboard over your actor's uh, right shoulder.
2: And which my contribution to that is, in real estate, it's location, location, location. In independent film, it's pre-production, 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 it's not worth, all of these headaches that you're hearing about. if you It's well worth your time to spend six months longer to get all those things in line. So maybe if you do talk to that really expensive costume designer and ease her into it, and she understands you can find a couple of people to intern under them, I've certainly found the value of asking high level people to do stuff and finding ways to incorporate young people, new people, to make these things happen so you can get that expertise but you still can have people underneath them and learn. But it's worth spending another six months. Nobody's dying if you don't make your movie this year. So take that you know, holistic approach and start. Is it the Sundance deadline I wanna make? Back out. A year is a very short time in a film. Better to spend two years, which is why you need to have all your agreements in place because it's probably gonna be three or four or five that you're spending time with these people. So take the time, it's worth it.
3: I just wanna add one more thing to the post-production component is, Have your DP and everyone in your camera crew including your director start talking with your post facility about deliverables and your aspect ratio because everyone falls in love with the 235 and then guess what for international they're probably going to want a 133 and you are screwed if you think that you're going to have the money on an independent film to do a supervised pan and scan. So just really start thinking about that with your when you're out there and you're shooting and you've got this gorgeous 235 shot in view like shoot it as camera ready as possible for at least a 178 because you're going to need it trust me I worked in distribution
5: <laughs> I started out as a DP and I think that's one of the reasons that I actually really enjoy producing because I sort of went through that no I mean I went through that from what it's like to be at the beginning and to be brought into that process as a creative person. And a lot of times, you're stuck in your DP mode and you can make really dumb decisions. And so it's really important to have people around you who um, help you with those decisions, those especially when you're younger. And, and the other thing is too is that a lot of times, especially with indie films, we get very wrapped up these days with digital media, which is great because it's democratized us being able to make low budget movies. It's fantastic. But at the same time, you don't always have to have the best camera. You don't always have, to. it's really who's making the film and what the story is. And I think people lose track of that a lot of times as you're starting to make a film. They get very involved in all the technical stuff, directors, everybody. And I've even seen producers do it, rather than thinking about, you know what, if I have a really good story, it's gonna be fine. I'm going to be okay, and I'm going to feel good about it, too, because I'm not going to get fame and fortune probably out of it. So I think that's one of the things I really learned from being on crew and sort of moving my way up in that way. Or down, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs>
7: down. I think if I can add to that is that I think looking at that holistic view is of having done the different jobs. I've done every job on set, from PA to... You know, handheld camera work and all those things, so I can empathize with the crew, but I also know when they're kind of bullshitting me, like I need this much time or this, you know, you know, you know. So, you know, that's really important too, and I think that's why somebody has to be the keeper of that, of like, you know, your DP should be micro, he should be like just thinking about lighting and positioning and things like that. So that's why you have a, a tactical producer on the ground to help keep everybody flowing, you know.
1: Thank you. So, Peter and Nancy particularly, when you're producing a doc, it's a, it's a different process. You're, you know, you're dependent on your subject oftentimes, so you, you don't have that same kind of planning. How does that affect your approach?
5: Oh, wow. Do you want to go? Or, um, well, I should say it's changed a lot. Um, if you think when we were first doing Hoop Dreams, or the, one of the first docs that, I worked on that got seen widely was American Dream, Barbara Koppel's film. And, you know, there were no cell phones, no pagers, no. So to to stay with your subjects and to stay in contact, you had to go to them. I mean, a lot of people, if you were working in different places or third world countries, there was nothing, you know, you had to find them and stay with them and stay in contact with them. It's easier now because of that but it's also more of a struggle in some ways because of that, because you don't have as much face-to-face communication. You have lots, I'm saying with documentary subjects. I think the big thing that's changed for me is that years ago, if I had said to, that we were gonna pay someone $25,000 or something upfront for their story rights, or 5,000 or 2,000, I would have been thought that I was a horrible documentarian. Nowadays, I'm not saying you have to do that, but I I think it's something with your lawyers to look at because people are so used to being filmed now and everybody's being filmed. They're very aware of watching everyday people on television all the time. And so you really have to have a very different kind of business relationship with your subjects than we ever had to have when we were following, you know, meatpacking workers or union struggles or kids from the inner city and it's just a very different world out there so you really do need help in that regard so I think it's changed in that way maybe not quite as pure as it used to be but still important it's important to have your subjects in a weird way have a little bit of skin in the game Um, and I know people will bristle at that but I'm not saying change the story but make them feel involved and that you're they're more than a subject to you. They're unfortunately for me. They're I have left lots of families. A family on every documentary film I've done. You
2: know, they're like
5: my family, and they never go away,
2: which is great and
4: bad. <laughs> well, American
2: University has actually published for those who are documentary yeah. F- yeah. filmmakers about the ethics of documentary subjects, and it's American.edu. It's an en- yeah, and it's, a, it's an endless
5: discussion, mm-hmm. and I'm just using one, but right. it's an interesting thing. Yeah, very
4: I mean, I don't really have anything to add. I had a film fall apart because we the subject was slightly crazy, which was sort of part of the thing, but we couldn't secure his rights because he kept wanting more and more money. We started at, like, 2000 and then we were at 20000 and we we're like, this guy's never going to give, so, like, let's just, and we walked away. But so just figure that stuff out early before you spend any money, you know,
7: that's right. the key.
6: And I would say talk to your talk to your lawyer about what kind of doc this is going to be, and if it's actually the kind of doc that you want to make without securing any rights, if you can do that, because oftentimes, again, filmmakers don't realize, but it very well may be possible. Um, and and yes, we run into that issue all the time with now subjects are seeing you know from the reality TV world, people making a lot of money, and they feel that they should be part of that, and they should. Uh, receive something for it and again depending on how it's structured and what the relationship is between the filmmaker and the subject and looking at those American University guidelines it can either be something which is uh, somewhat problematic and a tricky issue or if navigated correctly and if the filmmaker is retaining their editorial independence uh, it could be something that a filmmaker could look at and decide is appropriate in this case.
5: Uh, I also think real quick is that you you need to look at your documentary when you first start and start to really think, are you, how are you telling this story? Um, and it may change, but always have a plan for in your mind how you're gonna tell it, because maybe your film is more of an advocacy film, which is a very different kind of film, is a documentary. Um, or maybe it's more a film where you're using, I, the films that we make tend to be about using everyday people in, through one situation to show you a broader picture, hopefully. So no pundits, no... Ta- Mine all
4: archival. Right, Archi- yeah. so archival, that's yep. a whole
5: other yep. ballgame in terms of right. it. So I think it's really important to sort of think about, just like on um, a narrative feature, to sort of think up front how you want it to be. Now, you're, a lot of variables will happen because you're writing the story as you go a lot of times, but it, you just have to be really smart about that up front, I think.
6: And, and sorry, one more thing uh, to add to that is, yes, be really smart about it up front and make sure uh, you've also spoken uh, to your entire team and your insurance carrier. We mentioned e insurance up front. Depending on how uh, risky this may be, you may get to the point where everyone, perhaps except your lawyer, thinks it okay, and your e carrier won't bind any insurance, so you can't get distribution. So that's one of those conversations, again, you want to have early on.
1: So, Mel, you mentioned earlier Amazon and Ted Hope, and, and obviously the distribution landscape has changed dramatically over the last few years. Has that affected the way producers produce now that there's so many different types of distribution? And, and if not, what are the big changes that you guys have seen over the past few years in the production process? I actually
3: would love to, to throw this to to Nancy, too, just because for the last five years, I was actually on the other side of it more than producing. I was actually the executive acquiring the films and marketing them, and the landscape has, I mean, I stayed in it for five years for that reason because it was changing so drastically on a daily basis, and I just think that, you know, the windows, I mean, who would have thought that you could put a movie out before it went to theaters for 30 days, you know, and then it's so bizarre to me that people are like, oh, the interview, the interview, the interview. It's like, that's been happening for years, just not at a studio level. Um, But, you know, it's... The technology and what's available now to filmmakers is so much easier that there's a lot more films being made. And I think what, what you were saying earlier is that you need to figure out a way to kind of rise above the rest and really determine if your story is within the budget that's going to make sense for what you're going to potentially make back because I see so often, you know, a filmmaker would come to me at the distribution point and they'd be like, well, we made this for $4 million. And to be totally frank with all of you, I'm like, you're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and and they were like, well, how, why? And I was like, because you're never going to make that back based on who's in your film, the, the distributors who have now since passed on your movie, the landscape of where you're talking to now, I'm like, and you didn't necessarily put in, and, and because it changed as they were making the film, it's just, and that's a hard pill for a filmmaker to swallow. So, you know, it's like, make the movie within the budget that's appropriate for where it's gonna end up. And, you know, yes, getting into Sundance, getting into Slam Dance is awesome, but that doesn't even mean that all these films are gonna get bought. So you know.
4: just what Mel's saying in a nutshell is about cast, because think about on VOD, that is all cast-driven, what you select. Um, and then it's, um, budgets have basically plummeted since VOD came along, so just what Mel's saying, because you can't make your money back. The, the business actually kind of sucks, so I would actually advocate you all not join it. But um, uh, there's no money at the end of the day, and you have to make these movies for nothing, and you need really big cast in them wow, that's awesome. Um, So it's just a really tough business. And but that's the that's the thing is since I started a Tribeca film, which is the day and day um, distribution business for Tribeca. And the mantra was big names. And um, they could be slight misses, you know, they didn't have to be we couldn't afford the best films out there. We weren't Sony Pictures classics. So we were going for really good films with cast that would that's a VOD market It's it's it sounds derogatory to say it, but it's kind of what direct-to-video used to be, um, and it's not exactly. But because it's not just like put a helicopter and a gun on the cover of the DVD and you'll sell. That that was the thing in the old days. Um, but you know, it's that you just need those those pole things, which is some casts some you know, a, and then a name that starts with like A. <laughs> or an asterisk. I'm being, I'm being very simplistic about it, but you just have to make sure the package is right and you can't spend too much money because you're not going to make it back.
2: Yeah, which is checking just recently and I was in with a f- film financier and talking about the budget that what is the foreign sales option and you still have that cast but it's cast what does it mean you know for national distribution but then also about foreign sales because you can actually make money there but you still have to think about what is their audience like so while you need to be a storyteller and not a story seller as far as being a writer and a director and loving that passion you need to have producers and line producers on board who are the story sellers so you need to keep all those things in mind
7: Yeah, I think, again, like budgets are getting a lot tighter, and there's creative ways, and I know a lot of filmmakers know this, on how to get the same kind of quality for less money. I actually, and I'm going to give her a plug here, I brought in a brand integration producer, and she's just like this natural person who gets stuff for free. And when you get cast, you know, we had James Franco and Zach Quinto, and everybody wanted to be with them. So we got tons of stuff which brought up our production values tremendously. And so like they're saying, attach the cast, but then really get really creative and push the envelope with vendors you work with all the time and be like, listen, I got this guy. We think we're going to go to Sundance. Everyone's excited about it or we're just here and just really sell it. You got to just, even if you're not the line producer and, and you're the director or you're the producer, just sell it to every single person that'll be willing to listen to you. And um, I think that's how you make it for less money. Right, you know, which the it branding. can be done. It can be
2: done. Yeah, the brand coming is true. I have a, a friend who does that also, and is working with us on a project. But also early on, you have to think about a publicist. That it's really important to get the messaging out very early. And now that we can track it with Facebook and Instagram, if you are missing any kind of publicity opportunity, it's foolish. Especially young people, they're drawn to their phones all the time. So the more your messaging is out there, I mean, there is a thing in advertising called recall advertising. The more they see it, the more they remember it. So you want your message out there from the beginning beginning, so that by the time you actually get that movie made and you're through pre-production, you've spent those two or three years with people, that you've still been keeping people engaged the whole time and can show a distributor that you do have an audience.
7: And I think you bring up a good point of like, making a team diverse with young and more experienced people, because when you have the younger people, I'm, I'm blessed to have the 20-somethings and the 60-somethings, and they all bring something to it, and they show us that, hey, we look, at people want to see it this way, or we can just do it that way, or I have this connection. So... I think that's important to bring everybody in on that.
1: So another aspect that we've you know, only experienced recently is social media, which you just touched on. Uh, how has that affected your process and production distribution? It's certainly important for audience building these days. Does it get into the production process a lot for you guys?
3: If you're making a decision based on Twitter followers, that's awesome but get it in their contract that they actually have to do something about it when the time is appropriate because everyone's all happy and hunky-dory when when you're filming and everyone's super excited but you actually need those tweets when your film's being distributed like i just had an experience where i was uh, a producer on a project that's about richard linklater and the first 21 years of his career and we were fortunate enough to interview like everyone under the sun who's ever worked with him you know, we were lucky enough that Zach Efron was like, what do you want me to tweet? And I was like, hold up. And we like literally sent him and his team like three or four different versions of what we thought potentially were in his voice. And we're like, alter this any way you want as long as these three things stay in it, including the direct hyperlink for people to pre-order the movie. It helped tremendously. <laughs>
4: well, that's smart. What ha- what's happening now in film sets is we're all planning for for the release while we're shooting. so. We're um, shooting extra content so that we can put that on Facebook, and whether we need to do a Kickstarter um, towards the end of the uh, the process of making the film. So we start building our um, social media following through that as well. So you have to be thinking of what we call ancillary content all the time, and that content is much cheaper if you shoot it during production than if you wait when you don't have a camera, you don't have a camera, and you don't have a crew. So you might as well shoot it while you can but you need a lot of stuff, and you need a really good photographer. Bullshit on people who tell you, you can like, you take fr- pictures out of, you know, uh, out of, in the edit, like, and off your iPhone. You need a photographer. Just suck it up and get a photographer.
2: <laughs> Even though the landscape, <laughs> Even though the landscape has changed with technology, it does not mean that there's positions that existed when you were shooting on film that don't need to be there anymore. You still do need that photographer. Experienced people in all of these positions are critical just because the technology is now, you know, $5 and before it was $5,000. I think you really need to keep all those creatives in mind the whole time. In,
5: in, In documentary filmmaking, one of the things that's great with social media and things like that now is that... One of the things that happens is there's so many people out there making films and also a lot of times about the same subject or similar subjects. One of the things that sort of you have to do these days is sort of own that subject up front. So be very smart about releasing little pieces of things that don't really give away to your film, uh, you know, give away the film, or it might be ancillary stuff. But so basically the media almost feels as though you've completed the film. So like you're like, you've suddenly become a go-to subject Uh, person for that subject, even though you may only be, it's like you own it, And, and even though you may be six months away from completing your film, shooting even, but it's that thing of keeping the perception out there that this is something that you know and that you can get out there.
6: Tomorrow at 11 a.m. we have a panel on uh, the business of film and film finance. And one of the things we're going to be talking about is crowdfunding and how that not only is a way to help fund your budget, but also a way through social media to build your audience. And you should really think of it as a, as a, uh, a mechanism with, with at least two main benefits to your film. So I encourage everyone to come to that.
1: That's good. I think we're getting close to the end. So does anybody have any questions for the panelists?
3: potential length of those windows and it could change in two weeks just so you know Um, but it's a good thing for you to understand because when you're talking with distributors and they're saying that they're going to go a certain path then you at least have a guideline of like well wait why are we skipping these other three places where I might be able to make money for my film because as a producer it's your fiduciary duty to get your investors their money back so you know I, I just anyway that's one thing that you could do John Reese also has a book. He's a su- he's a really great resource. R-E-I-S-S. Yeah, and it's J O N, right? Yeah, um, but he would be another re- resource. And then you know, there's I think Seed and Spark is actually going to start doing more information like that. But
4: Mel also said earlier: um, Deadline, Hollywood Reporter, Variety, and IndieWire. If you read IndieWire every day, you actually know you'll totally know what's going on in this yeah. space because Do it does a, change so fast. Right. Do you have a
5: lot of friends who are also producers? Or? Uh, yeah. Some, yeah. You said, I found that's a huge part of casting, too, because if you're able to get somebody in your film who has a little oomph behind them, at their agency or whatever it is that represents them, um, then they actually have it. They want your film to sell. They don't want to see it go away. So they they all think that can be a blessing and a curse, but you have to be careful. But I'm just saying, you know, those things all survive. I The best somebody going to give you something that you think is great if they're not passionate
2: about it or just God? Well, it's a collaborative business, yeah. and we all do have these long-term relationships with each other. So it's constantly, you know, looking at those relationships, and those people have relationships with other people. So it's this huge net that we continually cast. So it's really keep those relationships and collaborations there. And... Any person who has any experience in the business, if you go to them and say, I, I would really like to you know, spend some time with you, you'd be surprised if you ask. Most people do not say no, but people are often afraid to ask, so just ask, and, and you will likely find an answer. Somebody in distribution will say, sure, come and spend a month with me. I don't care. I mean, any, any free help I can ever get is helpful, and I've said a lot of people, you know, help with producing or help with casting, that they've come and worked for free, and I've overseen the whole process so they could actually learn something.
1: Any other questions out there from our audience? Questions about uh, producers' reps?
4: Um, they they kind of don't really exist anymore. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, sales agents are now the thing. So in the, in the 90s and the 80s, it was producers' reps, but now it's sales agents. So um, you should have one of your producers or an EP or someone who has relationships with sales agents and can get them the film. Typically, the timing is right around when you get into a film festival, um, your first film festival, then you try to engage them. They don't really want to come on unless... I mean, they want to come on because there's some goal and some timeline. And, um, but then you, then you send it out to them, and they, and they absolutely, there are great ones and there are mediocre ones, but they, and you should ask your friends who they work with. But some of them are awesome. I mean, you know, just can really help you through the process. And I always, I mean, I know all the distributors, and I always use a sales agent.
3: So IndieWire actually just, IndieWire actually put out an article, I think the day that the festival started, where all of the uh, young agents, up and coming in the sales agencies, were highlighted, or at least some of them. And those are great people for first-time filmmakers to like look for, because they're their pictures in the article. Like find them and hit them up. I'm dead serious because like they're hungry. Like they want to move up the chain too. They want to become the heads of their department in ten, five, ten years. So getting to know them, you know, it's. Kind of like get in it together. So I would look for that article.
1: Any other questions? Any any dream projects for you guys coming up? Is there a dream project in front of you that you want to do?
3: I'm working on it right now. Um, I was approached by an older gentleman, probably in his sixties, about a year ago. Who uh, optioned the life rights to uh, a young female soldier, who is the most highly decorated woman since World War One? She received the Silver Star for an uh, Iraqi insurgents attack, and uh, you know it's basically lone survivor with a woman, hmm. and nobody dies. <laughs> at least the American side, I will say. Um, and it's it's a fascinating look at the military from a female perspective. And so right now we're. We've been approved by the military to shoot at Fort Hood and they're providing us with close to $10 million in kind. And uh, so now we're raising the rest of the money and I am being pretty adamant about having a female director do it. So I'm excited about that. That's great. It's called Raven 4-2 in case anybody wants to like it on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Raven 4-2.
1: Well, I think. That's uh, the call sign. Just sorry. so you guys,
3: that was the call sign for them. That's great.
1: Uh, and Anything else from anybody? Yeah.
3: Um, sure. Can you talk a bit more about insurance? Sure. Sure.
6: What that is. Oh, thank you. sure. So there are uh, at least two, I, I would say, two main types of insurance that producers take out um, when they're producing a film. And, and they often get them at different points in the process. Uh, before production starts, you'll take out a, a production insurance policy, which is going to cover you for your general production risks. So if someone trips and falls on set, or uh, perhaps if you know, your memory card in your camera is faulty or something like that, or if you drop your camera and break it. Okay, so that's your production insurance. Uh, your E&O insurance, that's the policy that you typically take out a little bit later, but before you distribute your film, or um, if you're savvy before you show your film at a festival before it's been released to the public in whatever way it's being released first. And what that does is that insurance covers you um, in the event that you, despite your lawyers having vetted the film um, and saying that everything uh, seems like you've done it in an appropriate manner, so you're not saying anything defamatory about people, you know, especially if it's a doc that you've done a fair use review with your lawyer. So if you're using any copyrighted material and you haven't licensed it, that your lawyers are comfortable that that's uh, allowed under the First Amendment. So if you do all those things, your lawyer writes an opinion um, and uh, an errors and omissions insurance carrier will issue you a policy. So if there is a claim, you essentially have to pay the deductible from your insurance policy, but there's not gonna be a, a catastrophic uh, financial liability hopefully um and just most distributors most if not all distributors these days require you to have an e insurance policy with specified limits uh before they will distribute your film is that it? great Yeah, and it's something... You know, I mean, they want to be, like, if something happens, it blows up
5: in the film, goes on,
4: and it's And just uh, one of the most important things in making movies is you need a good lawyer. I mean, absolutely. Like, I rely on... I mean, and lawyers are a great resource, just like you were saying, when you're sort of stuck and you're like, do I need to do this? And then just call your lawyer, and they'll tell you. Yeah, you, they'll always say yes, but... Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes, you need to do that. <laughs> right.
1: Yep.
7: Because this came up in our last show, of like, you know, this opinion letter, this all costs money. Like, it's not like just your, you know, insurance. It's like, and then it takes time and there's a lot of back and forth. You you also do like an indie clear where you're clearing everyone's, so there's a lot of things involved. So, really taught you, like, can you break it down to me like I'm five years old and just, you know, because it, it can get very expensive and you didn't lot for that money and, uh, you know, you got to find that somewhere. Yeah, you have to have that. That's like, I have to have.
4: And every film is that's why you have to rely on the people around you just to help you because
2: you just every film is totally different well and just on an odd side note because i like to finish things on a great point and i'm sure the panel will agree with me that this industry is a marathon so don't think it's a sprint and know you're signing up for a marathon and enjoy every moment of it
1: I think it's a great way to end it i want to thank our panelists for a great presentation and thank you all for coming
0: Thank you so much uh, FWRV for this morning's panel. That was great, thank you to everybody on the panel. Uh, we'll be back at two o'clock with the JVC panel and demonstration of their new camera. So come back then. Thank you so much everyone.